good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we're just about ready for takeoff now, so, uh... Shit, everybody move now. Go, go, go. Inside, everybody inside. To the stairs, quickly. Everyone head to the roof. The helicopter's waiting there. Go, go. No, no. No, you're lying. That, that's what demons do. They lie to cause men of God to doubt. I'm not telling any lies now, Father. I can feel it in your soul that you know what I say is true. There's so much blood everywhere. Where be the rest of them? I... I can't tell. What is doing this, Mr. Simon? That couldn't have been done by no man, I swear it. I don't know. From the minds of true crime guys comes Sandu Stories. Our brand new channel devoted to our previously Patreon exclusive content, where we'll be bringing you our own version of true crime what ifs and other audio dramas, one season at a time. Join us wherever you get your podcast on February 7th. Now, let's get strange. I can feel your fear growing and your faith dwindling. It's an intoxicating feeling. February 7th. Imagine a world where you call 911 for help only to be arrested for murder then being sentenced to life for killing the very person you were requesting help for. This unfortunately is not a hypothetical for Jessica Logan. It's her reality. Jessica has lived with the title of child murderer since October of 2019 when her son stopped breathing and she dialed 911 for medical assistance. So how did she end up being the number one suspect in her son's presumed murder? Let's find out. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. Jessica Logan's life so far has not been an easy one. Her mother died of cancer when she was just 17. She also struggled with a learning disability all through school, but she did have some awesome people in her life. Hope Bradford was one of them. Jessica was dating Bradford's son at the time of her mother's death, and when Jessica was left without a place to go, Bradford took her in. Her son, Bradford's son, Shaneen Comich, fathered two sons with Jessica, but would spend many of his child's early years in prison, and that is where he was the night his youngest son died. He had been arrested on domestic battery charges after an incident where he punched Jessica repeatedly in the face. This was not the first time this had occurred, as Comage was known to have anger issues. But his mother, Hope, stood by Jessica and her grandchildren, assisting the young mother with getting a job and staying afloat in her new apartment. On October 6th, Hope was with Jessica and the boys when they made a trip to Walmart to buy diapers. When she dropped them off back at their house, she had no idea that this would be the last time that she would see her grandson Jaden alive. 
Around 3 a.m. that night, she would receive a phone call from Jessica. She was almost incomprehensible over the phone, wailing and crying that one of her sons was not breathing. She told Jessica to hang up and dial 911 and then threw on her shoes, woke her husband, and sped through every light in the short distance to get to her grandchild. Busting through the front door, she found Jessica cradling the cold body of 19-month-old Jaden while speaking to a 911 dispatcher. CICC, what is the address of your emergency? Okay, I need you to calm down so I can understand you. Where are you at? 650 East Leafland. Okay, repeat it just to make sure I have it right, please. What is your name? Logan. Okay, I got Logan. What's the first name? Jessica. What? Okay, what's the phone number you're calling from, Jessica? <laughs> okay, I need you to take a deep breath, okay? Now tell me exactly what happened. I can't, I can't, I can't hear my phone to try to give him a breathing treatment because he needs breathing treatment because he got breathing problems. And he's not breathing, he's all hard. He's hard? He's hard and he's not breathing. Okay. I'm driving this way Okay, okay, listen to me. Is there a defibrillator available? No. No? Okay. No. I just gotta do mouth to mouth. Okay, I just want to confirm what you said. Though you said he is he's cold and and stiff. Yeah. Okay. How how old is the child? He's one. He's one. Call for you. I just called my mom. 
I'm sorry. I'm calling my mom. You're going to call your mom? Yeah. Okay, okay. Like I said, we've got everybody on the way to you, okay? <laughs> Jessica, listen to me. I need you to take a deep breath, okay? Hope Bradford's husband scooped up four-year-old Jashan and carried him out into the flashing lights of the ambulance as they had just arrived. Inside the apartment, the two women began to wail as reality settled in. It was too late. Jaden was gone. Jaden had suffered with respiratory illness for some time. His medical records show more than two dozen visits to the doctor or hospital in just 19 months of life. Just a month before his death, he had been taken in to see a doctor after suffering from a fever, a cough, and a rash, and he was diagnosed and treated for RSV, or respiratory syncytial virus. The CDC describes it as a common respiratory virus that usually causes mild, cold-like symptoms. Most people recover in a week or two, but RSV can be serious, especially for infants and older adults. RSV is the most common cause of bronchitis, which is inflammation of the small airways in the lung, and pneumonia, which is infection of the lungs, in children younger than one in the United States. Now, the year before, Jaden had been admitted to the hospital at least four times after battling bronchitis and viral pneumonia. He was prescribed breathing medication that needed to be administered through a nebulizer. The night Jaden died, Jessica had set two alarms. One was for 12 a.m., and the second was for 3 a.m. to administer his breathing treatments. She had apparently slept through the first alarm that night, and this seemed to be a problem because police later found that she had Googled, quote, what does it mean when you sleep through an alarm, end quote, just days earlier. Damn, Google records everything. But when the second alarm sounded, it was successful at arousing Jessica, and she headed to Jaden's room to wake him up. That's when she found him, tangled up in his sheets, cold and hard, Rigor mortis had already set in. In case you were wondering, here's a morbid fact for you. According to the National Library of Medicine, rigor mortis appears approximately two hours after death in the muscles of the face, then progresses to the limbs over the next few hours, completing between six to eight hours after death. Rigor mortis then stays for another 12 hours, or 24 hours after death, and then disappears. When Jaden's body was taken away, a patrol officer wrote in his report, quote, I observed Jessica to be very upset and crying. After giving her time to calm down, I conducted an interview, end quote. He had no reason, nor did anyone else at this time, to think that he was speaking to a woman who had just murdered her son. Well, except for Detective Eric Matthews. He was assigned Jessica's case on October 9th. The cause of death had not yet been determined, and Matthews had not spoken to a single witness. But what he did have was the recording of Jessica's 911 call, which you heard earlier. Now, Jessica's call only lasted four minutes, with the last two being incomprehensible screams. Detective Matthews began to break down the call in an attempt to suss out whether Jessica was lying or not. Did little Jaden stop breathing on his own, or was this a mother who just tried to cover up a terrible truth? Matthews had taken a 911 call analysis training course just five months earlier, which consisted of a presentation given over the course of two days, which teaches law enforcement officers how to identify, quote, indicators of guilt, 
After listening to the call, Matthews then spoke with the officer who had interviewed Jessica that night. That officer then filed a new report in light of recent discoveries, changing his original analysis of Jessica's behavior the night of Jaden's death. In the new report, he spoke of her actions saying, I originally believed this was possibly due to the shocking and traumatic experience, the officer said, but the crying somehow did not seem genuine and felt forced. He later explained in court that he normally chooses to report only facts to preserve the integrity of the investigation. But after learning the new information from Detective Matthews, the officer wanted to put his opinion about Logan's demeanor into the record as well. Though Matthews seemed to be certain about Jaden's death, the coroner's office was not. A coroner's inquest was held to determine the manner of death. At the inquest, Detective Matthews testified and spoke about his analysis of the call, saying he found, quote, mostly all guilty indicators in the call. Like when she kept repeating the fact that Jaden had breathing problems. According to him, this apparently was an attempt by Jessica to establish an alibi or a reason for Jaden's death. Here's a quote from Detective Matthews' analysis. She gave information in an inappropriate order. Some answers were too short. She equivocated. She repeated herself several times with attempts to convince the dispatcher of Jaden's breathing problems. She was more focused on herself than her son. Quote, I need my baby instead of I need help for my baby. And when asked if Jaden was beyond any help, Logan said, I think he's gone. She had already accepted that Jaden was deceased. Emergency 911 calls are, without a doubt, critical pieces of information for investigators. They often establish a raw first-hand account and timeline that can be checked against other evidence. But rarely, if ever, are they used in court or during a trial to prove guilt or innocence. But the pseudoscience is making its rounds in our justice systems. Jessica was presented in court as a murderer who had used the child's sickness to cover up the fact that she had killed him because of the stress that he was causing in her life. The prosecution pointed out to her financial hardships as a motive. They claimed she wanted to cash out on the boy's life insurance policy, though the check for it was not cashed until after Jessica was arrested. The cause of death was eventually determined to be a homicide by way of asphyxia by smothering and compression of the neck. But this conclusion came conveniently after Jessica had been arrested. ProPublica Media consulted with three forensic pathologists who had no prior knowledge of Jaden's case to review the coroner's files, including the autopsy report, photographs, medical records, and reenactment video. And none of them accepted Denton's conclusion of smothering, which they said is tantamount in declaring homicide. They noted that deaths by asphyxia are often accidents or due to illness. In the autopsy report, the coroner identified light blanching on the tip of Jaden's nose, tiny dots, and on his eyelids, cheeks, and elsewhere as burst blood vessels. They were called petechia. The other pathologists claimed that these marks looked more like a rash, which Jaden had been suffering from when his mother took him in to see a doctor just the week before his death. They also pointed out the lack of markings, claiming in a strangulation situation with such a small child that there would be more signs of violence and how petechia can occur during moments of physical exertion like coughing, sneezing, or respiratory distress. Dr. Jane Turner, a private consultant and former medical examiner in St. Louis, told ProPublica that petechia and blanching on Jaden could be explained by accidentally suffocating face down or a seizure. She also said that the coroner didn't seem to test for respiratory viruses or test Jaden's cerebral spinal fluid. 
grave errors given his medical history. The cause of death and manner of death should have been undetermined, Turner said. There were gaps in the investigation with respect to the autopsy and some questionable conclusions. Now, Jessica was found guilty of first-degree murder and given 33 years by the judge. She has tried to appeal her case, but lost. Her attorney has asked the Supreme Court of Illinois to take a look at the case, but they have not heard back at this time. As always, we'll keep a close eye on this case and bring you any updates as they happen. All right, so there's what we know so far on the case of Jessica Logan. Now, there's another very popular Jessica Logan in true crime, mm -hmm. which um, you guys might find if you go and uh, do your own little search, do your own digging on this case. Um, and that Jessica Logan, I think, was bullied to the point of suicide, from what I gathered. Yeah. Um, from some like of the, I, Obviously, I don't like to look at other cases when I'm <laughs> studying for a certain case. It's very tempting. Mm -hmm. It's very tempting. But what I find is that sometimes I get facts mixed up if I do that. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, no. Do not pollute this search. I have to stay <laughs> on track with this search. Yeah. Wrong Jessica Logan. But... Yes, so that's what we know so far about Jessica Logan. Now, here in the after show, we want to talk about some of the things that make her look guilty, mm -hmm. first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Because one of the one of the two videos you'll find on YouTube mm -hmm. is a newscast where the news reporter basically, I mean, you couldn't make her seem any more guilty in an opening statement. <laughs> they say something like, uh, Mother, mother of dead childs Googles how to strangle a child mm -hmm. and then uh, um, cashes in, tries to cash in on life support or life, life insurance, insurance yeah. the same day. Mm -hmm. It's like that is in the news article. And yep. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Because they grab these pieces of information and just, you know, just run with them. Right. Because it's technically not wrong. No, exactly. But I mean, the phrasing might be a little, mm -hmm. a little different. Um, but it's technically not wrong. So yeah. I want to get it. I want to address those things first. Okay? okay. She did Google. What did she Google exactly? She Googled how to suffocate. How do you suffocate? How do you suffocate? Yes. That does not mean that's not how do I suffocate someone? Mm -mm. And there, um, even the fact of her search uh -huh. is conflicting because um, the uh, news source that we used for a good bit of this article did. Um, do the public requests for files. Right. And they got her Google search that's in the police file, and they claim that they cannot find anything about this in that file. Nothing about the Google search nothing at all? Nothing at all. That there was nothing in there. But Weird. it was used in court. Right. And they said that it occurred the day before mm -hmm. um, he died. Right. Now, the news source says that they spoke to family who claimed that it didn't happen the day before, it happened the day after, and that they were looking how it actually physically happened, like how he stopped breathing. Right, to, to better own. understand what happened to the yes. child, which is normal, yes. I feel like. You're going to want to get as much but information about this as you can. That's one source versus another type deal. So Absolutely. Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> right. So that's what we know so far. A lot of it's circumstantial, but even the family doesn't think that this is suspicious. So that speaks mm -hmm. volumes to me. The fact that the family, the family members who were there with her and were like, no, we were here when she Googled that, like that we get mm -hmm. it. Even they get it. Yes. Okay. 
but then okay so let's forget the search then okay what about the life insurance insurance, the day of the inquiry again according to the story the police want to tell she called the life insurance company the very next day after Jaden died okay and started asking about how to cash out this policy right now according to her family they told her to call the life insurance family or life insurance (laughs) company right because she didn't have the money to pay for the funeral costs Uh okay now when i looked at the news article that was like oh she's totally guilty right they're like she told the coroner she didn't need help with the funeral costs because she had life insurance okay so they were building it up like oh she don't need help she did she denied aid uh-huh. Or whatever, right? Right. Why would she deny aid? Deny aid if we already know at this point that she's financially struggling. Well, she's saying she doesn't need help with the burial because mm-hmm. she knows about the life insurance policy. I feel like that's a normal thing. Exactly. Like if they said, "Do you need help with the burial?" and she's planning on the her life family insurance. family told her the life insurance should help with the funeral costs, so of they told her to call and find out. Okay, uh-huh. and so that agent called the police. Because she called the day after he died uh-huh. and told the police, I find this suspicious. She called the very next day. Wow, nosy. But, I mean, it makes they do that all the time. Apparently. I guess. Apparently that's a normal thing mm-hmm. if you call too soon. But <laughs> someone who's struggling financially in the way that she is, she does need this money to pay for yes. this funeral. Yes, absolutely. I mean, she still, I mean, the, the fact remains she has a dead child mm-hmm. in her arms and... um. In my opinion, she knew this when she made the phone call. Yes, and she was already processing it. it well, look, here's you see the what thing. I mean. It's not the like check, she's still ha- she's still denying that this is the reality. The check was then sent to her, or the not the check, but the package about the insurance was sent to her. Yeah, it was never opened until after she was arrested, and then her family took care of it. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't in a hurry. She didn't seem in a hurry to get it. Is my point. Is it like they built this whole case on she just wanted life insurance money? No, she was grieving and, and now worried about being going it to just prison. Seems like if she if that was her motive, wouldn't she be pushing for it to get it a whole lot faster? Like yes, she made one call mm-hmm. and asked about this policy. Right. She didn't call back again. Like I don't know. And then the also the fact that you know her family claims that she is. Uh, well, we know that she has a learning disability, but they right. claim that she, like, there are moments when she's talking to you that she'll just lose train of thought or she'll just end up staring off into the distance. And there's something okay. undiagnosed there, I think. Okay. She was never tested for any of that. Her competency mm-hmm. was never tested. You know, that could explain why she sleeps through alarms as well. Yes. It really could. Her A learning disability even... Even maybe an autism diagnosis would explain a lot about her behavior. Yes. In the article, they wrote about how, um, you know, her, her, the father of her children went to jail because he beat her. Right. Well, in the new in the report about that incident, the uh, social worker wrote about how she seemed to be complacent with the abuse. Uh-huh. And she showed very little to no emotion. This is not a new thing for Jessica, is my point. Yeah. It seems throughout her life, even in these big moments where everyone expects that she should show some kind of emotion, she hasn't. 
Mm-hmm. And that repeated behavior is what makes me believe that this is a uh, okay uh, misconviction. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's misinterpreted for sure. Yeah. Wow, that's some good insight right there. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, because that's that, what they, they based it on. They kept coming back to that. She right. wasn't showing the right emotion. Yeah. She wasn't showing enough emotion. Like, yeah. Well, she doesn't show she doesn't regular seem emotion to show in emotion. anything. Yeah. So if you would have looked into her character a little bit more. Exactly. And yeah, and her, you know, quote unquote, strange character, I'm using quotes here, she uh, came through on the 911 call. Yes. Right? Yes. And so, yeah, to, to someone who's diagnosing someone with no mental disorders mm-hmm. that's not in a crazy, under a crazy amount of distress, which we never know how we're going to act in those situations. No. Um, yeah, it might be misinterpreted in that yeah. way. But this program, this <laughs> whatever you want, this conference. Pseudoscience. <laughs> this pseudoscience <laughs> of interpreting 911 mm-hmm. calls um, is aggravating. Yes, because it really it's, it's being very passed around and it's being used and accepted yeah. at such a high rate. And that's well, they're what's getting scary about so it. critical over yes. the nine one one calls. Mm-hmm. I'm like, after learning what, oh God, what we've learned over the last few, out. yeah, yes. over the last few days, what we've learned, I'm like, I am nervous if I ever have to call for mm-hmm. help. Like seriously. And then now I'm nervous. So it's now like there's... I am nervous calling you because I'm yeah. watching my words because I don't want to be convicted of yeah. murder for something I didn't do. You exactly. Know, so. And there's and usually <laughs> it stands out. Like there are some nine one one calls that oh are God, just yeah. hilarious because it's like, wow, you could not be more fake. Pam Hupp. I was about to say Look up the case of Pam Hupp, uh, that we've covered on True Crime Guys. That is a great example. We play her nine one one call on there and it's yes. just absurd. Yes. She's sitting here screaming at somebody's like, I will not go with you. I will not go with you. And the person's like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, you we can, can clearly can... <laughs> hear him in the background. He has no idea what's happening. He has no idea. Yeah. He's like, what are you talking about, lady? Yeah. Um, That's but, infuriating. Yeah. So 911 calls like that, I understand. Uh, those are a little easier mm-hmm. to diagnose. Uh, I don't think you need to go take this class to diagnose no. that call. What's aggravating um, <laughs> about this whole class thing, it was started by a man named Tracy Harpster, right? Yes, from Ohio. Tracy Harpster. Okay, Mr. Harpster mm-hmm. was a police officer in Ohio in this little teeny tiny town Okay, that, that has like less than 10,000 people in population and averages less than one murder a year. Oh, he knows what he's talking about. So, you know, yeah. okay. And then his study was based off 100 911 calls. That's it. That's it? 100? They were almost all exclusively in Ohio. They were almost all white. They were almost all male. (laughs) Really? So the diversity in this study was not as great as it needed to be to prove a science like this. Uh, I'm not discounting the science that you can't pick apart what someone says. Right. I am discounting that at this time we have perfected that. Yeah, <laughs> we might need to listen to a few more samples. Yes. Yeah, and a even, few more areas. Even the three hundred that his co-author claims that they used mm-hmm. um, was this research was given to like twenty different groups of uh, government agencies, universities, and advocacy groups. Right. None of them were able to reproduce the same results that Harpster claims he has. And he's charging $3,500 to yes. take this class on this information. And this class was almost ac- basically accidentally put out there because he submitted it, okay, after yeah. taking this course with the FBI 
for training. He submitted it, and then it was put out in this big bulletin that it was not supposed to be put out in, apparently. Uh-huh. And it just kind of kick-started his little, you know, tour the country thing. And right. So now there are multiple cases where there's been a conviction. One man was convicted and spent three years in jail for killing his wife, yeah. only to be eventually acquitted because... He was found innocent, and his call was used to put him away. His 911 call was used to put him away. Uh-huh. So the science is just not perfected yet. Yeah. And Here, it's, here's some of his uh, his teachings. It says, One in three callers reporting a death, Harpster claims, betray their true involvement with unconscious word choices, mm-hmm. omissions, and patterns of speech. For instance, huh? In response to a dispatcher's question is a guilty indicator. So is an isolated please. That's crazy to me. Okay, yeah. Um, other indicators are more subtle and subjective. Did the caller provide, quote, extraneous information? Uh, was there too little urgency in their tone? And who cho- who decides okay. how more oh my gosh. Or, I have a- how less urgency you should have? Too many Freudian s- slips or other mental miscues. I have a great thing. Okay. You see, have an example? I just listen to too many of these and that's the problem. Well, yeah. I mean, okay. that's kind of our job. But. I, I know. Exactly. Well, I've where listened, he says... I was going to say that when we when you were like, you listen to 100 calls. I'm like, I listen to more than 100 calls a week. That's what I'm like, saying. What I'm are you like, only about? 100. What are you talking about? <laughs> 100 and you were studying? Yeah. But anyways, where he says there's too little urgency in their tone, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Remember the case I just told you about with the 16-year-old boy who died in the back of that van? Because they didn't believe that he was dying. Oh my God! Yes. If this you've is ever horrific. listened to that that audio, the boy sounds like he's perfectly fine. Yeah. He is, but he is saying, "Please call my, my mom. Tell her I love her. I don't have long to live. I'm yeah. going to die in this van. It's very monotone. It's very calm. It sounds totally unreal." Right. And the boy died, and he suffocated because no one got to him in time. This is a horrible case uh, that Kristen found a few days ago. Um, This young man was leaving school, right? Mm -hmm. And he apparently, I guess he drove a minivan. I don't know if it's his family minivan or whatever, but it had the automated seats that fold down, the bench seats that fold down, which would like stow away, Mm -hmm. automatically into the floor. And some way or another, he got in there and was maybe getting something out of that cubby or something, and the seat began to fold, and it crushed him into the floorboard of this van, Yes. and he could not breathe. And he was able to voice dial his phone in his pocket Mm -hmm. and call for help, and he was still not rescued. No, because Um, they didn't take it serious. Because they, yeah, because they didn't take it serious. Because of the lack of urgency in his tone. You see, like, we can't just be like... Oh, they just don't sound like they need help. Like, Yeah. How long just, is that phone call? Um, I am not sure. I'm actually trying to look it up because I was trying to give his name in the... Yeah. See how long that phone call 16. is. Maybe we can play it right quick. I don't want to play like a 10-minute phone call. All right. I found it. Okay, great. It's only like two minutes, but his name was Kyle Plush. He was only 16. I left to tell my mom... And I love her if I die. Kyle Plush was reportedly reaching for tennis equipment when he got trapped in the trunk well of his vehicle. He managed to call 911, not once, but twice. The 16-year-old gave the dispatcher details of his location and a description of the minivan, but police weren't able to find him and thought the call might be a prank. Send officers immediately. I'm almost dead. This young man was crying out for help. We weren't able to get that information to the officers on the scene and 
We need to find out why. Six hours after his first 911 call, Kyle's father found his body. Now Cincinnati police want to know how this tragedy happened. We're going to examine the actions that take that have taken place and hopefully to have answers to all of those questions. The dispatcher who took the second call has been placed on administrative leave. For InsideEdition.com, I'm Tara Lynn Wagner. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't sound uh, excited at all. No. He, but I mean, he if doesn't you're crushed, sound like he's in pain, dying. You know what I'm right, saying? Right. He's just suffocating. So or how would you crushed. analyze that 911 call? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> that would really would mess that up. In? Yeah, that would mess up your study big time. Mm -hmm. And they talk. No I doubt. mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just the way. And this is, this isn't nothing new. 911. Um, call analysis is not a new thing that they're using. It's just that now it's being used to convict people. Right. And that's the problem. Absolutely. There needs Absolutely. to be There's more. nothing wrong with it. It needs to be. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, you can't get any closer to being in that moment than the 911 call mm -hmm. typically. So, yeah, it needs to be, it needs to be used, but yeah, it can't be used to convict people. That's like using a polygraph almost. Exactly. Um, and we yeah, saw with like the... The killer that you guys covered on True Crime Guys, where she was passing all the yeah the chameleon killer the chameleon killer yeah is that her she yeah. was passing all the polygraphs but her husband was failing them all I'm pretty sure yeah yeah pretty crazy no that was the the lady that ended up going and shooting at school at elementary oh, school oh my god it was her oh yeah she yeah, kept yeah, po yeah. passing polygraph tests Lori Dunn yes every oh, single gosh. one of her polygraph tests yes, she passed you're right and she lied in every single one. Yeah, we've done it. We've been on a streak of female killers here lately. I get them oh, all yeah. mixed up, but <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Either way, yeah. Th this case, if not if not an advocate for for wrongful conviction, it's without a doubt an advocate for wrongful nine one one call diagnosis. Yes, like this is, I and mean, it may be a strange case. Yes, and these teachings um, that this man is teaching, maybe they do work ninety percent of the time. Mm -hmm. But if ten percent of the time you're putting someone innocent in prison, yeah. that's way too much. And I think opinion. it's I think it's very I, I don't know what the word is but I, they take a two a two day class over the weekend and suddenly they are an expert yeah. in and can testify in court as an expert in this science as long as they have thirty five hundred dollars right yeah I got you and I'm like you you only took the the detective in this case only took this course five months earlier mm -hmm. so how much time did he really have to develop that skill. And now suddenly it's it's being used to convict this woman, and she got thirty three years. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? That's that's no that's, that's no, no joke. drop in the bucket. No, not at all. I don't know if she'll serve all that. She may end up, you know, winning an appeal somewhere. But as of right now, she hasn't won any. I think with good behavior and a lot of reasonable doubt, mm -hmm. I think she can. Get if out. she makes it through prison, because she has been having problems in prison. Oh really? Because she's known as a baby killer. Oh yeah, you know, I see what you're so saying. it's it's not easy. So yeah. especially if she's innocent. I mean, that's rough. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, guys, that's what we know so far uh, on Jessica Logan, and like I said at the end of the other segment, we will be keeping our eyes on this case, and hopefully, she can at least get a retrial and get a, get a fair trial in court with some actual evidence. And good um, representation. And good representation. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, all right, guys. Well, that's pretty much it for me and Kristen. Let's check in with Lauren this week, and let's see what he thinks in the Lauren synopsis.
It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. You get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The death of 19-month-old Jaden Comage of Decatur, Illinois, which occurred in October of 2019. And in 2021, his mother, Jessica Logan, would be found guilty of killing him. And this case was built almost entirely around a 911 call that was recorded uh, in which Jessica Logan called the police in the middle of the night and was uh, hysterical. And later, the detective, Eric Matthews, um, would re-listen to this audio of this 911 call repeatedly and pick it apart and use this as evidence that she had indeed lied and had smothered her child and called to lie and say that her child had died and um, she was covering her tracks for murdering him uh, in a basically an attempt to get a $25,000 life insurance policy in which she had uh, taken out on her son. Um, and their theory was that she was really far in debt, which she was, there's no denying that she had bill collectors calling her on a regular basis. There's a lot of messages back and forth with her family members about this, about her trying to borrow money to get by. Um, and so their theory is that, you know, she planned to smother her baby and claim that $25,000. And, uh, one other piece of evidence they had is that she was, uh, found to have, Googled the phrase how to suffocate, uh, the day before the murder had happened. Um, and so that, that simple thing of Googling that phrase, um, the fact that she had taken out this life insurance policy and then this, uh, analyzation of this 911 call using a method from a, a former police chief named Tracy Harpster, who's become kind of well-known for analyzing 911 tapes. He's written books on it. He does seminars in which he charges people apparently $3,500 to attend and learn how to analyze 911 audio, uh, 911 caller audio, and determine whether they're guilty or innocent based off of this. I listened to the audio, of course, of Jessica Logan's phone call. Um, and some of the takeaways for me you know, was that she was indeed hysterical, um, I, th I found it interesting that she was hysterical on the phone as the phone was ringing prior to the operator even picking up the phone. That would be quite amazing acting to me if you're doing that. And um, while on the phone, I get the sense, you know, one, one of the dead giveaways for a false phone call to a police, you know, uh, someone trying to fake it is that they have no urgency to get medical care there. But you can totally get the sense in the phone call that Jessica already knew that her son was dead. This was a bit unique in that she had found her son in the middle of the night. You know, the son had likely been dead for at least an hour, if not hours and was cold to the touch and rigor mortis had already started to set in. She knew, she knew very well that her son was already gone. You could hear it in her voice. So why would, why would there be a, a sense of urgency to get first responders there? She felt the need to call the police, obviously, but I think she knew, and you could hear it in her voice, she knew that her son was already dead. Um, and also there's the fact that her family and people that knew her always described her as someone that was poor at communication. 
she was known to stare off into the distance and have long drawn out responses to things. Um, and her family basically was trying not to come out and say it, but you know, what quote from one of her family members was, I don't want to call her slow, but basically insinuating that she is a bit slow. And that could also play into this, this 911 call as well. Um, cause she did give a lot of short answers, but she was clearly hysterical on the phone. Something that's not, it's, it's not that easy to fake. And, um, so this was the majority of their case, which I have a real issue with. I don't think there was enough evidence in this case to convict from what I've read, you know, the three key pieces of evidence being the, the 911 call audio, the Google phrase, how do you suffocate, which could mean a number of things. I mean, it doesn't, she didn't Google, how do you suffocate a child? She didn't even suffocate. You know, she didn't even Google, how do you suffocate a person? How do you kill a person? Anything like that? How do you suffocate? This could have been meant in the fashion of how does one suffocate? How does my child suffocate uh, on their own? Because Jaden had a history of respiratory illness. She had taken him to the doctor on more than two dozen occasions after he was born. And even uh, a month before he died, had taken him to the hospital. He had been diagnosed with RSV and treated for bronchitis and viral pneumonia at different points in 2018, just a year before his death. This kid had a lot of health issues, uh, mainly breathing issues, which is what he ultimately died of was asphyxiation. Um, and he was all tangled up in his sheets. He could very, could have easily could have been a situation where he was in bed, tussling around in bed, struggling to breathe, and then got himself wrapped up in the blanket. And that in conjunction with his already, uh, frequent breathing issues, ultimately, unfortunately ended his life with his mother having nothing to do with it. Now you have some conflicting autopsy reports. The initial um, autopsy said that he had been uh, smothered, which there's been conflicting uh, reports from other coroners. There was, and medical examiners, it, there was not enough there to say definitively he was smothered by any means. Um, and I, I don't know. I I really find it hard to. Um, believe there's enough evidence here to convict Jessica of murdering her son. It's a tough one. I, I, I don't know how to fully feel about putting so much stock into analyzing, um, 911 calls to me. There's, there's, there's just so many different types of people that respond to things differently. Some people laugh when something tragic happens in a, in a, a weird physical, physiological response that they can't control. Um, it, the body does all sorts of weird things. And a lot of people, when they're confronted with a traumatic experience, like a loved one dying, God forbid a child, who knows how you're going to act, you know? And when you, now you're sitting here picking through it with a, a fine tooth comb as a detective. And, and of course there's, there's kind of confirmation bias come in. This detective, Eric Matthews had just taken um, Tracy Harpster's course five months prior to this event happening. And so it's fresh in his mind. And he went into that audio, in my opinion, looking for signs of her guilt, not anything else. And I think he had laser focus on that. And ultimately, they got a conviction with not enough evidence. I think this this thing might uh, get an appeal and potentially a new trial eventually. Because um, I know there's been some uh, light shed on this case. Um, and there's been several other wrongful convictions due to uh, these tactics of analyzing 911 audio and putting far too much stock into them. It's, it's becoming a bit of a, an issue to be frank. So 
I'll be curious to see how this thing plays out and if it if there's new life brought to this case because I think she uh, I, I think her attorney could have been a, done a better job at um, breaking down some of the prosecution's case. Um, so hopefully she gets a new trial eventually because um, I think that you know she deserves at least a better uh, defense than what she got. So that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next time. All right. Thank you, Lauren, for that synopsis, guys. Like I said, we'll certainly be keeping our eye on this one. But until then, if you guys love what we're doing here at True Crime Guys Productions, please consider checking out Patreon, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. For just five bucks a month, you can get access to everything we make here at True Crime Guys Productions. Or for $3 a month, you can get access to just the Sandu content at patreon.com slash podcast for $3 a month. So if you want a little bargain there and you don't care about the True Crime Guys Patreon exclusives, or maybe you're not caught up on that podcast, whatever it is, Sandu is there for you. Uh, links right below the description of this episode. Also, guys, if you've never been a Patreon of True Crime, of True Crime Guys, or of Sandu, you've probably haven't heard Sandu stories unless you've heard a few that we've released here on the free platforms. Um, if you haven't, you're in luck because on February 7th, we are releasing Sandu stories on its own podcast channel on free platforms everywhere you listen. Now, only Selected episodes will be released free. Not all of the Sandu stories will be released. Um, some will remain on Patreon in the uh, TCG vault, if you will. But Season 1 will start February 7th, and these episodes will be coming out bi-weekly. Okay? And they will be released in seasons. We are currently on Season 3 of Sandu Stories. We'll be releasing Season 1 on the free platforms on February 7th. So guys... Get out there, subscribe um, wherever you listen to podcasts so you will know when new episodes drop. You heard a promo for it at the beginning of this episode, if you didn't skip through it, of course. Guys, also, give us a follow on social media at S&U Podcast or at True Crime Guys, wherever you are, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. Also, go subscribe to the True Crime Guys YouTube channel, um, the official True Crime Guys YouTube channel. Go give that a subscribe and you guys can see every new episode of True Crime Guys in video form with pictures and all the stuff that you're going to Google anyways while you're listening. All right? All right, guys, that's pretty much it. Don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you listen, whether it be Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, uh, Google Play. I don't think Google Play you can rate. I don't know what's up with that. Google, you're like the biggest company in the world, but you can't let people rate. Whatever. Um, but, guys... We'll see you next week, okay, for a new strange and unexplained case. Until then, just keep being strange, all right? Don't be strangers. check out all the other programs on the TCG network. Every Wednesday, a new episode of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. If those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, 
including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and The Five Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. How do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over? Yeah,